Amen. Love to hear guys sing. That was the bearded quartet right there. And all right, got to have a beard to be in that group, I guess. That leaves me out right now, Greg. But uh, it's good to be in God's house tonight. Thank you for coming. And uh, take your Bibles, if you would, and let's go to the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs, we're going to be there as we get started. We won't be staying in the book of Proverbs. And uh, has anybody got in here tonight, did not get a copy of the outline? Just raise your hand. want to make sure everybody has something to follow. And so there's a few folks, if you guys want to grab it. And once they come in, if you'll keep your hand up, they'll get you a copy of it there. Got a few over here, over here. And then Brother Gusler, you're going to have to walk all the way to your son to give him one. All right. All right. But uh, I know he doesn't mind that because his son will have something to doodle on. All right. Okay. Now, I'll tell you, that as we continue on Sunday nights, and we had a couple uh, Sunday nights that we had some tremendous missionaries that I uh, mentioned this morning that we just took on for support, uh, the Henrys and, of course, the Planks going to Argentina, going to Italy, and I thank God for missionaries that are doing a great work for the Lord. But uh, tonight, we're going to continue our series, Stand for Truth. And uh, this, this Sunday night series is not for the weak at heart. It is for a Christian that's serious about uh, the faith. Um, it is something that we need to be serious about, especially in this day and hour that we live in. Uh, this world continues to change, but I'm glad that God never changes. His word does not change. And so we need to make sure we, we know what we believe and that we are standing for the truth that God has given to us, and we must hold that truth very dear. Tonight, having said that, if you look at our verse that we're going to use as we begin tonight, I've entitled tonight's message, Stand for the Fundamentals. Stand for the Fundamentals. Now, that may be a term that is new to some of you, and that's okay. Uh, hopefully, after tonight, you'll understand what the word means and maybe understand what all it involves, but I think we need to understand some things as Bible-believing Christians. And here's what the Bible says in Proverbs 22, 28. Remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. Now, when God in the Old Testament, when, when the children of Israel were um, moving about in the land, God was giving to them... At various times, his word, his direction, he was teaching them, and many times their teachers, their instructors, were the prophets that God used to, that would stand and declare the truth. And many times you would see the phrase, thus saith the Lord. When you get to the New Testament, kind of unique, because even though God was with them in the Old Testament, we find that God the Son, Jesus, came to this earth, and he was born of a virgin, and he lived, and during that time that he was here, he was about 30 when, if we can call it this, he began his earthly ministry, he began to teach and preach, and up to that time, there was a little bit of obscurity about who he was and why he came, and part of that was it was not time yet for him to step forward on the world scene. And, of course, God sent a man by the name of John that was the forerunner that would prepare the hearts for the coming of the Lord. But when Jesus called out those 12, he personally began to teach them and to train them, much like God did 
in the Old Testament with the nation of Israel. And I really believe that as you think about us today, God is with us. God has given us His Word. We have the best of both worlds. We have the Old Testament and we have the New Testament. We have much that we are accountable for. And we live in a day where even Christians are wanting to move things that God has set up. They want to change things. Now listen, you can't improve on God. You can't improve on God's ways. And yet, time and time again, many are trying to do that. That's why the Bible says, and this is still applicable today, is remove not the ancient landmark. And it does say, which thy fathers have set. See, landmarks really were boundaries that God set for his people, for the nation of Israel. We talked about that this morning as they entered into the promised land. Now, these landmarks that they would set up in in the Old Testament times, they were reminders to them. Many times they would take stones and they might pile up the stones. And uh, the Bible says in one of the books that when they see those stones that their children might ask, what mean ye by these stones? In other words, what is this uh, monument, what is this landmark, this marker all about? And it gave the fathers an opportunity to explain to their children, this is where God did this, or this is what God had established for us at this particular time. See, they took special meaning, these boundaries, these landmarks for those that maybe inherited the land, or those that were privileged of God, those that were blessed of God. But I will tell you that those landmarks that were set up to remove one of those, this sounds kind of harsh, but it was a crime punishable by death to remove a landmark. I would not want to be one of these people that are trying to move some of the ancient landmarks that God has established that has tampered with his word, I would not want to be them and stand before God one day. That's why I I take it very seriously. And by the way, you ought to too. You may not have been called to preach, but God has entrusted you with his word. And we need to make sure that we're upholding it and that that we are serious about it. When, When you remove a landmark, That's really saying that you are undermining the authority that God has established. And again, who are we to say that we know better than God? That God doesn't know as much as we know. Today we refer to these landmarks, and that's why I've entitled tonight's message as fundamentals. The landmarks for us are these fundamentals that we hold so dear. They're foundational truths that we hold as Bible-believing Christians. Doctrinal teaching has become the foundation of the church. We live in a world that is very hateful towards uh, anything that is fundamental. Some liberals want to argue that the problem in the world today is anything that has to do with fundamentalism. They don't like to have truth. They like everything to be what they want it to be to be objective. And we find that this world that we live in, there are many liberals that want to argue. And the problem in the world today is, as they they address it, is they say that what the world needs is more tolerance and less fundamentalism. 
Now, really, when they make statements like that, they speak of tolerance, they're really intolerant to basic Bible truth. (laughs) They're not interested in the Word of God. They're more interested in the words of man. We believe that the fundamental truths that we hold are the basis for our faith in God. That's why we hold them so dear. The word fundamental can be taken in a wrong way. It can be misunderstood. You can use the word many different ways. One of them is if I was going to coach uh, maybe a little league team and I maybe a little baseball team or something, and I would get the players together and I'd say, okay, today we're going to work on your batting and we're going to start with your stance. Then we're going to work on how to hold your arms and where to place your hands on the bat. Those are known as the fundamentals. Many major league players, they get in what is oftentimes referred to as a slump. They'll go for 0 for 20 or 0 for 30 at the plate. And what their coach and their batting coach will do is they'll put them back in the batting cage and say, listen, we need to go back to square one. We need to go back to the basics. They're saying we want to go back to the fundamentals because it was the fundamentals that taught you how to hit the ball But somehow you've gotten away from that. We have these fundamentals. Now, we also can look at the word fundamental or a fundamentalist. Sometimes today it's associated with people that are known as terrorists. Certainly, a Bible-believing Christian is not a terrorist. But sometimes the word is used in that regard. Now, the term fundamental or fundamentalism is not found in the Bible. There's other words that we use many times, concepts and truths and principles that we see in the Word of God. For instance, the word rapture that we use, which we believe is the next event on God's prophetic timetable, you cannot find the word rapture in the Bible. You cannot find the word trinity in the Bible, yet we believe these. And so when you think about someone that is a fundamentalist, you're not going to find the word there. As a matter of fact, the word came about in the late 1800s as a response to what was known as German rationalism, better known as liberalism. And a lot of us understand liberalism. What was going on was European theologians were beginning to question certain portions of the Bible. They began to see things and not understand them. Some said that the resurrection never really happened. They said that he was uh, went into some sort of a comatose state, and he came out of that coma, is what they were claiming. These German theologians, they argued that there was never really a parting of the Red Sea, that it was really just a low tide time of year. They began to question other portions of the Word of God, and as a result of all their skepticism and criticism of the Word of God, in the early 1900s in America, there were certain Bible-believing Christians that held the truths of the Word of God that decided to have some conferences, Bible preaching and Bible teaching conferences to defend what was known as the fundamentals of the faith. Where would they get such a concept? Well, the Bible says in Jude, in verse number 3, Beloved, when I give all diligence to write unto you, And to exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. 
during these conferences, they would preach on certain topics. For instance, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They would preach about the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. They would preach on the inerrancy of the scriptures. They would stand up in these meetings and they would preach and defend the truth of God's word. This oftentimes is referred to as what is known as apologetics. Now, apologetics is not uh, the art of apologizing. Apologetics is a giving of the defense of the Christian faith. Probably one of the greatest apologetics that ever lived was the Apostle Paul. Paul was a great man of God, knew the Word of God, and there were many skeptics in his day like there are even in our day today. And Many skeptics are out there that doubt the Word of God, attack the Bible. There are many false teachers who promote their false doctrines. And they deny the key truths of the Christian faith. And why is it important? Because look, many times as Christians, we think we know what we believe, but if we ever have to give somebody an answer, can we do it? Now the Bible says, notice First Peter 3.15, the Bible says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Now, look, I'll use this as an example, and I know he won't mind. Some of you, watch this, some of you, you like to go to the Bible answer man. He's sitting right over there. Now, I'm just going to tell you, Brother Flynn knows a lot about the Bible. He, he knows more about the Bible than I do. But I'll tell you this, Brother Flynn's not always going to be here. What are you going to do when all your hopes are on Brother Flynn and Brother Flynn's with the Lord? I hope God gives him another 90. But you know you don't want that. <laughs> but I'll tell you this, how do you think Brother Flynn knows all those answers that he gives you? He studies the Bible. He spends time with God. Well, let me ask you, can you do that? Sure, all of us can. See, you can't stand for something that you don't know, that you don't believe. The Bible says we ought to be able and ready always to give an answer to anyone that would ask of the hope that lies within us. We need to study the Word of God. And don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with with asking Brother Flynn a question here or there, or maybe somebody else, or even uh, asking me as your pastor, asking Brother Kenny, there's nothing wrong with that at all. What I'm saying tonight is, is that there are many out there promoting false doctrines and truths that are just not biblical, and yet because we don't know the answer, we just assume because they sound like they know what they're talking about that it must be so. And we need to be careful about that. Our defense as we... Uh, discuss and debate, and I've had a few times <laughs> people who are caught up in false uh, religious systems, and what I would many times refer to as a cult. Sometimes, boy, my spirit gets stirred within me when they start sharing some of their false doctrines, and I, I need to be careful because I'll tell you this, that oftentimes when we are trying to give a defense, listen, our defense should never involve being rude or being unrespectful to someone. 
we ought to always be kind to them and share the truth with them because if we win a debate but we turn a person away from Christ by our attitude, we've lost the whole purpose of Christian apologetics. Do you get that? How else are you going to help them? How else are they going to come to the truth if you turn them away with your attitude? We need to be careful about when we do uh, debate and we do discuss with somebody. I love Paul's attitude and his uh, mannerism here in Acts 17. Look in your notes in verse 2. As his manner was, he went in unto them, and three Sabbath days he reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. Paul says, look, that's the only thing I have to share. By the way, we looked a while back at Stephen and Philip, and that's all they did was share Christ with other people. Many times we want to talk about everything under the sun, and don't get me wrong, if it's in the Bible, I want to talk about it, but oftentimes we are so enamored with what's going to happen in the days to come and in the second coming, and I'm looking forward to the Lord coming back. But listen, we ought to talk to people about their soul. Do they know Christ as their Savior? People want to know about all the things that are going to happen. Hey, listen, I'm, I'm more concerned about do you know Christ as your Savior now? Because it's going to change everything. We're not going to be here for that tribulation. Understand that we need to be solid in our beliefs. And I believe these fundamentals of God's Word, not only in Paul's day, but I believe today, are still worth defending today. Years ago, those that stood for the fundamentals, they separated, listen to me tonight, Christian, they separated themselves from liberals, from those that were denying biblical truth. They separated themselves. I look at the history of Bible Baptist Church, 72 years, and the history of our church is simply this. The roots can be traced all the way back to faith in the truth. As a matter of fact, the founding pastor of Bible Baptist Church, Pastor George Zemer, was caught up in another uh, religious group and was reading and studying the Word of God, and God providentially helped him, like so many others, to see the truth, and he came out from that. He separated himself from that, and he said, I believe this is what the Bible teaches. And I think about America today. I mentioned it this morning how America was founded on the fundamentals of the truth. President Ulysses S. Grant, he gave a message back in 1876 to what he referred to as the next generation. This was an older man, a president, that was addressing the next generation. And I want you to hear what he had to say. Hold fast to the Bible as the sheet anchor of your liberties, write its precepts in your hearts, and practice them in your lives. To the influence of this book, we are indebted for all the progress made in true civilization, and to this we look for our guide in the future. The Bible says righteousness exalted the nation, but the president said sin is a reproach to any people. Uh, People say today, well, listen, why are you independent Baptists? Sometimes people don't understand. We don't just make up things so that we can have a label. The whole purpose behind that is because the Bible teaches that Christ is the head of the church. We don't belong to a denominational, man-centered organization. 
We are a part of the church of the living God. You see, so many today want to be a part of this. Just like Israel, we want to have a king. Listen, the only king I want is King Jesus, the king of kings. You see, we're independent Baptists. We're not a part of, of a denomination that supports those that believe or teach liberalism. By the way, many do. Many in the universities, many in some of the Bible colleges are teaching liberalism. Calvinism is on the rampage. People believing all the, the, the tenets of it. And listen, I'm going to tell you something. That is a damnable heresy, the heresy of Calvinism. And if you are caught up in that, you ought to spend some time in the Word of God and compare the Scriptures to what Calvin taught. And you'll find there is a vast difference in the salvation of God versus what Calvin taught. So many people are caught up in things that are not true. And the Bible says as we think about the church today, Colossians 1.18, Jesus is the head of the body, the church. Ephesians 5.23, the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. We believe the church is built on the teachings of Jesus Christ. Uh, you look at the apostles. Jesus had been with them for about three and a half years, and he went to the cross. He gave his life. He ascended from the grave, and then he ascended back to be with the Father. And the Bible says that in Acts chapter number 2, here were his disciples that he had taught and trained. And notice what the Bible says in verse number 42. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Well, where did the apostles get their doctrine? They got it from Jesus, the greatest teacher that ever lived. Jesus taught them the doctrines of the Word of God. And so many Christians today are not separating from false teachings. Notice what the Bible says, and take this to heart. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 14. The Bible says to us, be not, be not unequally yoked together with what? Unbelievers. For what fellowship, look at this, hath righteousness. Now, there, our righteousness is as filthy rags. But if we've been saved, his righteousness has been imputed unto us. And the Bible says, what righteousness, what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? What concord uh, hath Christ with Belial? What part hath he that believeth with an infidel? What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. If God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. So many times we see Christians who say, listen, I see the wrong, but I don't want to separate myself. When yet I see God saying, come out. Don't be a part of that. Listen, many, many good Christians over the years have made the mistake. Those are my friends. I want to stay and help them. God's way is to come out from among them, and you will help them. I know that sounds like a, listen, God's ways are not our ways. They are higher than our ways. Because I'll tell you, watch this. You mark my words. You will not help them up 
they will pull you down. Happens every time. And so the Bible says that we who want to stand for truth need to separate from that which is not true. Many wrongfully today perceive fundamentalism as maybe how somebody dresses or how somebody behaves. Can I say to you tonight, we believe in what is known as the doctrine of sanctification. Once a person is saved, they're justified. And as we are saved, we are being sanctified. God, by His Spirit, is helping us to know how we should act and to know how we should conduct ourselves. And Paul many times talked about his conversation being honest among the Gentiles. And we believe in the doctrine of sanctification, but listen, can I tell you that fundamentalism at its core is not so much about my behavior, it's more about my beliefs based on the Word of God. Because, listen, I say this many times, our beliefs will affect our behavior. You see, if you believe the Word of God is true, it's going to affect the way you conduct yourself, the things you do, those that you hang around with. Whenever... You see doctrine, and I've seen it in my day, and I'm not an old man. Brother Flynn and I were talking the other day. When you see doctrine, the truths of God's Word being minimized, you see the doctrines of the Word of God being questioned, you do not have to sit there silently and just accept it. Where is the Christian that would stand for the truth? that would open their mouth and earnestly contend for the faith. Back in the late 19th century, there was an increase in liberalizing and modernizing the Christian theology that began to devalue the bedrock truths of the Scriptures. Many conservative Christians in that day, they took a stand. Thank God for that. They did that to meet the attack, the onslaught of the devil. They saw the need for what they determined was a, and I hate to use this word, but it really was what it was at the time, they determined to, to make a definite list of what became known as the fundamentals of the faith. They sat down and discussed and wrote down these truths that were absolutely necessary for those that would be known as a Christian. And over time, that list of fundamentals has had many other truths that have been added to it. Notice the key word, truths, not untruths, not false teachings. But originally there was a core of teachings. There were five fundamentals of the faith that these in the early 19th century believed were indispensable for Christianity. I really believe that we today agree with these five. And so tonight I want to share them with you. I want you to see the first one that they wrote down was they believed in the deity of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now the word deity, it's simply put this way that Jesus is and Jesus was God. That's what the word deity means. When you study the Bible, here's what you find. Yes, there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Bible says these three are one. 
But understand that as you look at the doctrine of Christology about the Lord Jesus Christ, here's what you find, that Jesus as God was co-equal and co-existent with God the Father. Now the reason we many times misunderstand that is because like Brother Kenny, and I'll use him, I can now use him as this example, I couldn't have done this nine days ago. But Brother Kenny has a son, did you guys know that? He has a son now. So he is a father, and he has a son. So many times in our economy, we think dad's in charge, and the son is under the father, right? But see, when you study the Bible, here's what you find is Jesus was co-equal, co-existent with God the Father. A little bit different than what we think about in our in our minds and in our thinking, but notice what the Bible says when it clearly establishes that Jesus is God. John 1.1, the Word was with God and the Word was God. That's pretty definitive. Titus uh, 2.13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing, listen, of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. John 1.18, no man has seen God At any time, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Isaiah 9, in verse 6, you know the verse, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful. Counselor, the mighty God. Yeah, God himself. Romans 9, 5, concerning the flesh... Christ came, listen to this, who is over all, God blessed forever, amen. The Bible says in Hebrews 1.8, but unto the Son saith, he saith thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. John 20 and 28, Thomas, who many times uh, was skeptical, they say he, he doubted. Listen, we would have probably struggled too, but when he finally realized it, he said to Jesus, my Lord and my God. Folks, I could go on all night, verse after verse, to establish the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ that he performed in his life on this earth works that only God can do. He was a part of the creation account in the book of Genesis. The Bible says he's the sustainer of all things. He is the forgiver of sin. He has had the power to raise from the dead. He claimed that he was God. He taught his disciples to pray in his name. He claimed that he and his father were one. He claimed that if you have seen me, you have seen the father. And listen, time and time again, if that wasn't enough, the empty tomb was proof of Christ's deity that he was God. We see that many times, people today, nowadays, they think Jesus was a good man. He was a teacher, a rabbi. But they don't believe that he was God. I don't know about you, but I think I'll just trust the old book. God's word said that his son is God. It's one of the foundational principles of our Christian faith. Notice the second one that they wrote down was we believe the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. This is a big one. There's a lot at stake with this one. 
The virgin birth is important because, listen, the virgin birth preserves the truth that Jesus is fully God and fully man at the same time. Now, again, we have a hard time understanding that. How can he be fully God and fully man? See, many times people will say, well, he was 50% God and 50% man. No, he was 100% God and 100% man. He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet the Bible says he was without sin. He was the sinless son of God. He was impeccable in his character. And the Bible establishes that he was born of a virgin. Notice what it says, and you probably know many of these verses, Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore the Lord himself, God himself, shall give you a sign. Listen, the Jews always required a sign, and God says, you want a sign? I'll give you a sign, and here it is. How about a sign like this? A virgin shall conceive. How's that possible? With God, all things are possible. The Bible says, she shall bear a son, shall call his name Emmanuel. We see something similar in Matthew 1, 23. Behold, a virgin shall be with child, shall bring forth a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel. Notice here it says, which being interpreted is God with us. The Bible says that the word Emmanuel in the Old Testament, New Testament, is the fact that this son that would be born of a virgin was God and he was with us. Doesn't that delight you to know that God, listen, he wants you to have a home in heaven someday, so much so that he left heaven and came to this earth. He was with us. He dwelt among us, and yet the Bible says that he came unto his own, and his own received him not. Mary even struggled with this. (laughs) Mary said to the angel there in Luke 1, how shall this be? See, she was thinking naturally. She says, seeing I know not a man. I've never been with a man. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. You look at that, that is a fundamental truth. And the fundamental need behind that truth is all wrapped up in the nature of the human race. See, according to the Bible, all have sinned. And come short of the glory of God. The only perfect person that's ever lived was Jesus. Every last one of us. You ever talk to somebody? I've had a few times, believe it or not, where I've asked somebody, are you a sinner? I've had a few people say no. I'm like, well, you are now. Because according to the Bible, every last one of us, we all inherit that Adamic nature. Listen, if Adam was the first man, guess what? We all descended from the same guy. We're just one big sinful family is what we are. When you stop and think about it, see, man wants to divide us, but we all come from the same blood, tainted blood. But see, when Jesus was born of a virgin, oh, look, Joseph was his father on the earth, but Joseph wasn't his father. He even told Mary and Joseph, and I believe he did it respectfully, he said, I must be about my father's business. And if you notice there in Luke 2, it's a capital F. He's not talking about Joseph. His father was God. And we see this this cardinal doctrine here, the virgin birth of Christ, 
that Jesus had to be genuinely human because he came that he might give himself, but he was truly sinless, and the whole reason was so that he could be the perfect substitute and that he could pay the penalty for the sins of the world. See, without the virgin birth, there would be no salvation for the sinners. Aren't you glad that Jesus came and that he was born? See, in his veins flowed royal blood. My children, I have four daughters. I believe, I'm pretty sure that I, t- that I tried, I should quantify, I tried to teach all four of my children how to drive an automobile. I tried. Some of you that have kids, you know what I'm talking about. But you know, I never taught any of my children how to speed. They figured that out on their own. You see, we all have that nature. And that's why it was paramount that Jesus was born of a virgin. Because if sinful blood flowed through his veins, he could not have atoned for the sins of the world. You see, when there were those skeptics and those German theologians that were, that were picking apart the word of God in the 18th, 19th century, they said, listen, this is something we cannot budge on. We have to stand for the virgin birth of Christ. I want you to notice the third one, and we've mentioned this a little bit, the blood atonement. Now, according to the scriptures, because we are sinners, sin must be paid for. You've heard the verse before in the book of Romans, for the wages of sin is what? Death. Listen, you know the story in the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve, when they sinned in the garden? They did not die that day physically, but there was a separation from God. Remember what God did? God cast them out of the garden. That fellowship that God desired to have with them was broken. Our sins have separated us from our God. And understand that, listen, God is a holy God. And we cannot, that's why, listen, aren't you glad that heaven is going to be a wonderful place where there's no sin? Why? Because God is there. There's no fellowship, righteousness with unrighteousness. God is a holy God. He instructs us to be a holy people. And when Jesus died on the cross, he suffered, listen to me, as the substitute for fallen man. No one else could have come. The Bible says it wasn't by the blood of bulls and goats, but by the precious blood of God's own dear son. His death made it possible for you and I, for all mankind, to be declared righteousness. And we have been justified by the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because the Bible says in Leviticus 17, 11, it is the blood that maketh atonement for the soul. Hebrews 9, 22, almost all things are, are by the law purged with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. See, there's no forgiveness. There had to be a sacrifice. And that's why the Bible says in Acts 20 that Jesus purchased the church of God Well, what did he buy it with? He bought it with his own precious blood, the Bible says. Romans 5, 9, much more than being now justified by his blood, the Bible says, we shall be saved from wrath through him, Ephesians 1, 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, Romans 3, 25, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through the 
faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Christ's death was not merely some sort of statement against evil or some sort of expression of love. It was the payment to satisfy the just and holy demands of an almighty God is what it was. See, God, the Bible says, who is rich in mercy, you know what he did? God so loved the world that he gave. What did he give? He gave the most precious, most unspeakable gift that's ever been given. He gave his only begotten son. You see, some of these Bibles today, they want to change that to his one and only, one of a kind. The Bible, excuse me, his only begotten son. One of the cardinal doctrines, one of the fundamentals of our Christian faith is the blood atonement of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus poured out his blood on that mercy seat. And ever since then, not one animal, not one innocent animal ever had to have its blood shed. Why? Because he was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. You see, we believe in the blood atonement. Notice another one of the fundamentals of the faith that we hold so dear is the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. The bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when I think about the resurrection of Christ, it is the cornerstone of our faith. The Bible says that if he be not risen, then our faith is in vain, is what the Bible says. But I love what the Bible says in Acts chapter 1. Jesus had been crucified and he rose. And for 40 days, Jesus showed himself. He left no doubt that he had risen as he said he would. He said, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it again. They misunderstood. They thought the temple took all these many years. How in the world are you going to be able to do that? And the Bible says, this spake he of his body. You see, you can't keep God down. The Bible says in Acts 1-3, To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion. And the word passion is a reference to the crucifixion, Pasco, the suffering that came. Well, he look at this. He showed himself alive by many infallible proofs. He left uh, no doubt in people's mind. He was seen, look at this, of them 40 days. And the Bible says he was seen of 500 brethren at one time and to many of the women and to, his, uh, to the 10 and then to the 11. Listen, look, every time he was showing them, speaking to things concerning the kingdom of God, the psalmist said in Psalm 16, Thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Job said, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. The book of Romans chapter 1 and verse 4, the Bible says, Declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. Paul wrote to those in Corinth and said, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. See, by rising from the dead, 
Jesus demonstrated that he had cleansed the guilt of our past and that he was able to help us in our present lives today to live for him and to be a child of God. And without his resurrection, there would be no salvation from sin. And by the way, there would be no hope either. A lot of times we don't understand how important this doctrine of the bodily resurrection is, but it's evidence that God will one day judge the world in righteousness. The Bible says in Acts 17, 31, He hath appointed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom He hath ordained, whereof He hath given assurance unto all men, in that He hath raised Him from the dead. And we believe tonight, like they believed many, many years ago, the fundamental doctrine of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ as they saw the Lord ascending up there from the Mount of Olives. They said to them, those men that were present that day, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which you see going up into heaven shall come again like you've seen him go up into heaven. Listen, understand tonight that as we live for the Lord and we take what we call a stand for the Lord in our day. May we stand on these truths. And here's probably one of the major ones. Notice number five tonight. We believe in the inerrancy of the Scriptures. This is something that we must understand and we must hold to, that the Bible is God's Word. See, so many today, here's what they want to say. Well, that's a book of man. Man wrote that book. Hey, listen, these are the words of God. The Word of God is quick and powerful. The word quick is, means alive. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. God's Word, listen, I don't know about you. I had somebody come up to me after the service tonight, uh, this morning, and said to me, Pastor, did you know I was going to be here today? I said, no, I did not. Because I'm going to tell you something, that message just slapped me upside the head. And he looked at me and I said, I, he said, I thank God for that message. And I said, you got that right. Thank God for that message. Years ago, people used to say, I haven't hurt in a long time. Man, that preacher, he stepped all over my toes. Well, last time I checked, I'm up here and you're out there. I'm nowhere near your toes. That's called the conviction of the Holy Spirit. That's called the Holy Spirit using God's Word to... to apply to your life, to help you to understand things in your life. And when we talk about something that is inerrant, we're talking about something that is without error, that is without omission. People say today, and listen, I, I get it, sometimes you look in your Bible and, and there are words in there. By the way, I, I don't mind somebody just asking a question here or there. But if they're going to be like those German theologians and those liberals of years gone by, if you're always looking for fault in the Bible, listen, you might find it, but I'll tell you what, you're going to make it up because it's not in there. God's Word is pure. Well, pastor, there's, there's italicized words in my Bible. Well, I'm glad you noticed. Let me just ask you a question. If you were going to tamper with the Bible, why in the world would you italicize a word? to draw attention to it. I just leave it with the same font as all the rest of it. Well, then why are the italicized words in there? Because when you go from one language to the other, which is, by the way, what the translators did, 
what they did was they kept God's word intact. And sometimes when you go from one language to the other, I don't, I don't have the gift of tongues. I cannot speak Espanol. That's the extent of it right there. Me llamo Dane, you know. I mean, it's, I'm very limited. Un poquito, you know. But when you go from one language to the other, many times you might have to, there might be more words needed to accomplish the thought that God gave. And listen, they did not add to, because look, last time I checked, when you look in this book, God gives grave warning for those that will add to or take away from the Word of God. Look, I've been a Christian now for 37 years, and I'm going to tell you something. God's hand of blessing has been on this book because it hasn't been tampered with. I've spent 37 years. Brother Flynn has spent 900 years studying this. And both of us could tell you the same thing, that it's God's Word. Now, there's a plethora of Bibles out there right now. You know why? Because this is still the best-selling book of all time. So you know what people are doing? They're merchandising the Word of God. Isn't that sad? People are making money off the Bible. The King James Bible is the only one that's not copyrighted. Just a thought. It's not about money. We ought to be giving Bibles away. But instead, everybody wants to make money off of it. Why do you think you have so many study Bibles? You know what you need? You just need a Bible with just the words of God and study it yourself. Make your own study Bible. Because you know what you're studying when you study somebody else's study Bible? You're studying what they studied. You know, last time I checked, you're not going to get as much out of it when you just depend on what everybody else thinks. Why don't you spend time with the Holy Spirit in the Word of God and let the Holy Spirit teach you? I'm just trying to be kind. Sound like it, don't I? But listen, we need, to, we need to get in the Word of God. We need to understand that God's Word. Now, I love this word here, inerrancy, and I want you to understand this. Maybe you're not familiar with the word, but here's what it is. It means the recording of all events and all the facts in the Bible, in the Scriptures, are recorded. Here it is. They're recorded accurately and truthfully. So somebody says, well, there's lies in the Bible. Yes, there are. But they're recorded accurately and truthfully. Ananias and Sapphira lied, didn't he? Is that a lie? Sure it is. But it was recorded accurately. How about in the garden? Did Satan lie in the garden? Sure he did. He, he lied to, to Eve. You know, you find, you find lies in the Bible, but they're recorded accurately and truthfully. God's Word is inerrant. The Bible is true and every man a liar. And the, listen, when we look at the Word of God, Psalm 12 and verse 6, the words of the Lord are what kind of words? Pure words. The Bible says, "Is silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Romans 15, 4, whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. Hey, listen, uh, yesterday, uh, the men, we had a great time. We had a men's breakfast and had a Bible study. And, and one of the great verses on inspiration is 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. The Bible says, all Scripture is given by 
inspiration of God. And it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect or mature, truly furnished unto all good works. So when you look at the Bible, here's what you find is God's word is without error. People say, well, listen, I found one. Really, I beg to differ. Because I'll tell you, listen, if you found one error, you're going to find two. And the error is not on God's side, it's on your side. Because God's word is pure. Every word. It's inspired of God. It is the supreme source of our knowledge that we can learn about God, what we believe about the Bible. Listen to me tonight. What you believe about this book is going to determine what you believe about every doctrine in the Word of God. The inerrancy of the Scriptures. Listen, this is foundational because every doctrine that comes from this book, if, if you don't believe that this is God's Word, then you're going to struggle when it comes to your salvation. You're going to struggle when it comes to eternal security. You're going to struggle whenever it comes to whatever the doctrine may be. But listen, if we believe this is God's word and every word is true, then we must accept it for what it is, and that is God's inerrant word. Not one mistake in the word of God. The truthfulness of the text reflects the truthfulness of its divine author. Many years ago, you probably have heard the name Martin Luther. Martin Luther took his stand against a very well-known religious system. And the whole stand was about, listen, the authority of Scripture. The phrase sola scriptura, the Scriptures alone. You see, the Scriptures are all we need in our lives, the authority of them. And what Luther did was he made a bold claim, and here's what he said. He said, popes and councils do err, but the scriptures never do. That was a bold statement in his day. See, those that disagree with any of these doctrines really are not Christians at all. These fundamentals that we're talking about tonight, if you disagree with them, according to the Bible, there's a word that it uses. It calls people like that heretics. The word means followers of false doctrine. The Bible says in Titus 3 and verse 9, we are to avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and striving about the law, for they are unprofitable and they're vain. A man that is a heretic after the first and second admonition, reject, knowing that he uh, that is such is subverted. The word subverted means that he's turned inside out. He is twisted. He is perverted. He is corrupted. The Bible says he's not only subverted, but he sinneth, being condemned of himself. John wrote in 2 John verse 10, If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house. Listen to this. Neither bid him Godspeed. Now that word Godspeed, here's what it means. Don't even bid him success. The Bible says I'm not even supposed to say have a good day. Don't bid him Godspeed. See, if we deny one of these fundamentals according to the Word of God, we have denied the faith. We have departed from the faith. And the Bible says the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times, and I believe we're living in that, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed, listening to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And because of that, 
By denying the Bible doctrines, it says the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust, they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, someone that we enjoy listening to. I'm going to tell you something. Some of you are listening to people on the internet. You have no business listening to their messages because they're heretics. You see, everything that they say, line it up with the Scriptures. Understand that God has given us truth. And many times there are those that want to hear certain things. And the Bible says, as Peter wrote, denying the Lord that bought them. Listen, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 11.4 that if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus whom we have not preached. Look, I'm not interested in another Jesus. I'm just interested in the Son of God. Later in that same chapter, Paul refers to these people that he's describing. And understand, these weren't Paul's words. They were the words of God. He describes them as ministers of Satan. You may not like it, but those are God's words. Listen to what he said in 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen: For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming, listen, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed into the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. Hey, listen, I said on, in our class on Wednesday night, and I know that a lot of you will laugh, but growing up, I really thought the devil was some guy in a red suit with a pitchfork. That was my concept of the devil. But that's not the way the Bible describes him. Describes him as an angel of light, a beautiful angel, but a deceiver, an accuser of the brethren. And so many today are, are just, just swallowing up all that's coming down the pike. When yet God has given us fundamental truths. You see, like those in the 19th, late 19th and early 20th century. Can I ask you tonight, Christian, are you concerned that Christian values are still being eroded today. Brother Flynn and I were having this discussion yesterday, and I said, listen, I've been a Christian now for this many years. I said, you've been a Christian about 30 years longer than I have. I said, I guarantee you, you've seen a whole lot more than I have. And he said, oh, pastor, Christian values are being eroded. Things that used to be upheld by Christians are no longer of importance anymore. We're just throwing it by the wayside we, we are moving the landmarks. We no longer are keeping things that God has given to us. But can I tell you tonight, standing for the fundamentals of the faith is we're doing it for the benefit of the people in local churches. Understand that there are those that are coming up behind us, not only children, but new believers in Christ that need to know what the Bible says, to need to know the fundamentals that God has given to us to uphold. religious The religious world of the day is so saturated with ignorance of scriptures and so saturated with the false doctrines of the world today and ignorance and apostasy are on the rise. And, and listen, it's threatening our people in our local churches. And when that's happening, listen, when it's affecting our churches, it's our problem. And when our problem is that, we have a responsibility. And that's why I take it very seriously. And you ought to, too, what we find in the book of Acts in chapter 20. Notice in verse 28, 
Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God. Now, God hasn't called you all to pastor, but understand we have a responsibility. We all influence someone for good or bad. And he says, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. He says, for I know this, look at this, I know this, that after my departing, the Bible says, shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves, right in among, in the church, not outside, shall men arise, speaking perverse things. Why will they do that? To draw away disciples after them. Therefore, watch and remember. Paul says, for the space of three years, I cease not to warn every one of you night and day with tears. I think he knew what he was talking about. If you've lived the Christian life for any length of time, I'm sure you have seen it in your time. There are going to be those that are going to come in and they're going to try to, watch this, draw you away. And we're not talking about drawing you away from the pastor, draw you away from, we're talking about draw you away from God. It's called apostasy. And it ought to be a major concern. The church today is struggling with the postmodern secular culture. And what this world that we live in needs today are Christians who are not ashamed to stand for the fundamental truths. Look, truth does not change. And adherence to the fundamental principles of the doctrine is something that has always been needful. And these fundamentals that we're talking about here and many others have been added to that are the bedrock upon which Christianity stands. Can I say to you tonight, will you stand for the truth? Because I'll tell you, listen, if you don't stand for something, you're going to fall for anything. And that's the gospel truth. Let's bow our heads tonight with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. God, I pray that you would help us. Lord, we need you. You've given us your word. You've given us the truth. We have a grave responsibility to uphold it. Lord, we we need to be Christians that will earnestly contend, not just go through the motions and let the world and the culture set the standards. Many times we want to complain about how things are. We want to complain about the government. We want to complain about uh, things in our community. Sometimes we want to complain about even in our lives and in our homes. Where's the Christian tonight that would get on his face with you and say, God, I need your help. I need your strength. But every day, help me to stand and earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered. Here we are, 2022. Wonder what it's going to be like in this world in another year or two years, another five years, ten years, if no Christian stands for the truth. Thank God for the Daniels. Thank God for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Thank God for an Esther. 
What about us today? This is our time. It's not about us. It's about you and it's about the truth. Lord, I pray tonight that we would consecrate this altar tonight, this this time that we would dedicate ourselves from our knees to stand for the truth and hold these fundamentals that are so dear to you. Bless this invitation in Jesus' name. Would you stand tonight with our eyes bowed, head bowed and our eyes closed? Why don't you come tonight? Just make the altar your place to get along with God. Say, God, help me. Might be a young person, maybe a couple. You might even be visiting tonight. But the piano's playing. Brother Kenny's going to begin singing. Why don't you come tonight? Take a stand. Jesus' blood and righteousness. God has done so much for us. Right there where you're at, you have a copy of God's word. What are you doing with it? Thy word is truth. This world needs it.